The reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 4, and you'll find it on page 1096 in your pew Bibles. And we're beginning to read at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning everybody. Well I don't know if you live in and around Taunton as I say most of you do. It can become very frustrating at the moment can't it? When you want to get somewhere but there's a blockage in the way. And could be because of floods, could be because of roadworks. If you live in places like Ambered Lane this last week was it where you couldn't get out? Um, accidents on the motorway. Sometimes we're so close to where we want to be that we can't actually get there because there's a blockage. Liz and I had a situation like that back in 1988 when um, God called us to go and help a church in Wiltshire, a church that was struggling to survive and we felt God was calling us to go and work for that church and with that church um, everything was in place 
But the church that we were going to didn't want us to commit ourselves and move because they were only providing accommodation and expenses and we didn't have any income or work to go to. I guess they were worried that uh, they might get lumbered with us. So they didn't want us to go. So what did we do? We gathered together our church family and Christian relatives and we had an evening of prayer. And as we prayed, my dad, who shared a passage from Joshua chapter 3. In Joshua 3, God, we read, made a way through the River Jordan, even though it was in flood, so that his people could cross and go into the promised land. However, the instructions were very clear. The priests, first of all, had to go and stand in the water. Before anything would happen, they had to go and stand in the water. They could have looked completely foolish, couldn't they? The priests in all their robes and stuff. Just imagine. But the message that that gave us was that it required an act of faith. And that nothing would happen until we took that step of faith. We couldn't wait until everything was in place before we moved to Wiltshire. We had to step out in faith and trust God. So we convinced the church that God was telling us that we had to come then, and we went, and everything fell into place. For nearly five years, God provided for our needs in amazing ways. Why am I telling you this? Because the blockage was only removed when we joined together with other Christian believers, prayed, and listened for God's voice. Also, those Christian believers and many others supported us, sharing with us so that our material needs were provided. And this morning, we're thinking about praying together and sharing together, putting our faith into action. And we'll see how the young Christian church in Jerusalem did this and hopefully learn some important lessons that will help us as individuals and as a church to be closer to the way Jesus wants us to live in his kingdom. So the first part of our reading, chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to keep it open at that passage to see what we're looking at. If you've been here in recent weeks, you'll know that uh, we've seen how Peter and John, in the power of the Holy Spirit, healed a beggar who had been crippled from birth. Then we saw the reaction of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, warning Peter and John not to speak to anyone again in the name of Jesus. And now we come to the next part of the story, how the followers of Jesus react to the threats that they were presented with. I wonder how you would have reacted to the threats that they were given, the threats from the religious leaders. Don't you dare speak ever again in the name of Jesus. I guess our reaction might well have been that we'd say that we'd had enough of this, so we'd just retreat into the background of society. Maybe continue with our faith, but just very quietly, so as not to upset anyone, 
not to cause ourselves any trouble. And it wouldn't have been surprising, would it, if a deep depression had fallen on that infant church as they looked forward to all the troubles that, they, that were sure to follow. But no, not so for these early Christians. For Peter and John went to report to their fellow believers, to their family and friends, all that had happened to them, and they raised their voices together in prayer to God. We'll see that word together and the unity that is so important in this passage. So this was the church in action. Fellowship being shown through praying together to their God and Saviour. If you look at their prayer in verse 24 to 28, we've already, Adrian's already made reference to this prayer. Who did they address their prayer to? And it reminded me of when, as a church, we were thinking about prayer a while ago. And someone made the point that when we come to prayer, it's important to remind ourselves of who we are coming to. To remind ourselves of the power and the greatness of the one to whom we are praying. And that's what they do here. There are three things I think that we see here. They spoke to the God of creation, they spoke to the God of revelation, and they spoke to the God of history. In verse 24, we see they pray to the God of creation, the ruler and creator of all things. Sovereign Lord, they say, you made all things. They came First of all, to the creator, the one who was in control of the universe in which they lived. And then in verses 25 and 26, we see the God of revelation. Because they say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit. God is speaking. And then in verses 27 and 28, we have the God of history. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God decided. So we see that we have the God of creation, the one who made all things. We have the God of revelation, the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit. We have the God of history, the one who decided beforehand. This was the God that they were praying to. So this prayer is addressed to the one who is in control, not just of them, but ultimately of all things. They use the words of David from Psalm 2, that passage there, why do the nations rage, etc. And they show how futile it is for men and women, kings, rulers, nations, to plot and scheme against a sovereign God, who is the God of creation, the God of revelation, and the God of history. In fact, the psalmist tells us that God scoffs at their efforts to overthrow him. And this is the same God that Peter and John and their friends, the church, and we today come before. The one that we confidently approach in prayer. 
And it was because of this confidence in the one who was in control that the church could bring their requests before God. What was their request in prayer? Look in verse 29. They pray, consider their threats. Consider their threats. In other words, God, we want you to to take notice of the threats that are being made against us, and we want you to act accordingly. And then they say, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They pray for God to give them courage, for God to give them boldness. And then they say, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. In other words, God, you've already showed your power. You've already done amazing things. Will you carry on showing your power in a remarkable way? Note that they didn't ask for their enemies to be wiped out or removed, but rather that they'd be given the strength to stand up against the opposition and that their efforts to present the gospel of Jesus wouldn't be hindered. They knew there was going to be opposition. Jesus had told them that, hadn't he? You will face tribulation. You will face problems and difficulties. But what they had in their hearts was to know that Jesus had overcome the world. So what was the result of their prayer? The place where they were meeting was shaken, verse 31 tells us. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Well, I've certainly been in prayer meetings where I've been very aware of God's presence and the movement of the Holy Spirit. But I've never been in a prayer meeting where the place literally shook. The power in that place must have been amazing, mustn't it? And this surely would have been an indication would have been recognized as an indication of God's presence. That they'd, he'd heard their request, that he would support them in the future, that he was on their side. They were not alone. But we've got another aspect of Christian lifestyle in the early church and for us to learn from as well. Not just about prayer, but about the believers sharing their possessions as we go on to verse 32 and 37. So we've seen how the believers were together as they came before God in prayer, but we see now that they were not only together in prayer, but also in many other ways. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, says this, Luke is concerned to show that the fullness of the Spirit is manifest in deed as well as word. Service as well as witness, love for the family as well as testimony to the world. And in verse 31, we read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, that they were given extra spiritual help to live through what lay ahead for them. They weren't on their own. And we read that in this way, the apostles continued with great power to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, despite the threats that had been made to them. We also see that they were blessed by God as much 
grace was upon them all in verse 33. But if we go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, Luke reported there how as an act of fellowship, the early believers shared their possessions and goods with those in need. Now he shows that they continued in that lifestyle, putting their Christian faith into action in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What do we note about the believer's lifestyle from these verses? Verse 32 tells us they were one in heart and mind. They shared everything they had. And verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. They were one in heart and mind. Togetherness and unity, we've already said, mark these early chapters of Acts. It wasn't always so in the early church, and certainly hasn't been down through the centuries following, has it? But a church will be much more effective in serving and worshipping God when its members are one in heart and mind, when differences are worked through in love and grace. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We see that they shared everything they had. And as we were reminded earlier, there were no needy persons among them. This doesn't necessarily mean that they gave away all of their possessions. What it does mean is that they had the attitude that meant that they wouldn't hold on to things if others were in greater need. Back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 says, there should be no poor among you. William Barclay says, this sharing was not the result of legislation, which that was the old law back in Deuteronomy, there should be no poor people among you. This wasn't an act of legislation, William Barclay says. It was utterly spontaneous. People saw a need and they met that need. And it wasn't an early form of Christian communism or socialism. It was as a response to the love that God had put into their hearts and shown through Jesus. The Apostle John, who, who spoke so much about love, wrote in his first letter, if anyone has material possessions and sees their brother or sister in need, has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. James also speaks about looking after orphans and widows and so on. So there's a message here that says we should be looking after each other as a church fellowship. That's what these words were written to. They were written to a church. Look after and care 
for one another. So as we come to the end this morning, we must ask, what does kingdom life look like in Trowell, in Taunton, and the wider world today? What does it look like for us as individuals in 21st century Britain? Well, we know that there are many good and godly actions which are evident in this church. We know that there are many people in this church fellowship who quietly, carefully help one another, care for one another. But what would we have to change to become the church that prays effectively so that the place shakes? Not literally, because we don't want to lose the new center already, but in a spiritual sense. When God fills us with his spirit to to enable us to speak the word of God boldly and see lives dramatically changed in Jesus' name. What would we have to change so that we are one in heart and mind and so that there are no needy persons among us? Don't get the false idea that the early church was perfect. It wasn't. You only have to contrast the actions of Barnabas at the end of chapter 4 with those of Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of chapter 5. We know we'll never be perfect as a church because we're all imperfect people. But by God's grace, we can become more like Jesus and be marked as those who are united, one in heart and mind, praying together and genuinely caring for each other. Adrian's already touched on it. Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, I've written down here, it starts with me, and it starts with you. And as Adrian said, it starts with one person doing one thing to make a difference. Well, may God help us and fill us with his spirit as we seek to live closer to him and be people and a church that can make a difference today. Amen.